Deep in God's Word is a Bible study for women. Each month, your host, Cindy Colley, will discuss the study highlights and answer some of your questions. You can find more information about the Digging Deep Bible Study at thecolleyhouse.org. Now let's grab our shovels and dig into the meat of God's Word. Good evening and welcome to the January 2017 edition, 2018 edition of the Digging Deep podcast. I have spent um, the bulk of my month in between last podcast and this podcast in American Samoa. And so um, that doesn't leave a lot of time for personal Bible study. I was in the Word a whole lot while I was there, but it was mostly teaching classes and answering questions, and so not as much time for personal Bible study. <coughs> really glad to have Danae with us tonight. Thank you. I'm glad to Tell be here. Tell us about your children. Um, I have three children, Julie, who is 10, Weston, who is 8, and Elijah, <coughs> our baby, who's 2. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and Danae and her husband Nathan moved here about, was it two years ago? Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago. And they are great additions to our West Huntsville family. We are very thankful that you are here. We are going to dive right into Joseph, first of all, tonight. We're going to be talking about the providence of God. Providentially, he's giving me a cough right here at the beginning <laughs> of, the, of the lesson, but that's okay. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna be okay. I am um, excited to tell you that we are planning our next month's podcast on February 27th. We are planning our March podcast on March 27th. So be sure you mark those on your calendar and join us for those times. I also wanted to tell you real quickly that we are trying to set up a 2019 um, trip to Israel again. You remember we were going to go to Israel, and uh, it was going to be a digging deep trip, and several of you were very interested in going, but we had to cancel that because my father was so sick, and I just didn't think that... Um, there was any way, it didn't look like there was any way that I could go. I didn't know that I wouldn't have him by now. So um, as things have turned out, we are going to try to put that on the calendar again. I will try to have the dates for that by the next podcast so that if you're interested in going, you can plan on that. We'll try to, you know, of course, we're not going to make any money on this. We are going to spend money on this, but um, we're going to try to keep the cost as low as we possibly can, and we are going to try to keep the quality of teaching and worship that we have together and fellowship as high as we possibly can. I think it'll be a really, really educational and good trip, and we're going to open it up to digging deep families first before we open it up to anyone else. We're glad you're along tonight, and we're going to bow and go to God in prayer, and then we'll do our study. Dear God, Lord, we thank you for this day that you have blessed us with, and we thank you for your word that you have given us so that we can study and become closer to you and know you and know your purpose and your will for our lives. And we just thank you so much for this study and 
all the ladies that are out there digging and trying to become closer to you and we just pray pray your blessings upon them and we pray that the study that we go through tonight would be a blessing to all of us and that we would take it home to our families and our friends and just reach out to those around us. Thank you so much for your son Jesus and all the blessings that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. As I said, being out of the country, um, this week was a cram week for me, and I have loved it. I was actually studying all day long today except for a short nap. I, I'm on American Samoa time a little bit still, but um, I loved the study that we did this month. Every month I say, okay, I love this one the best, but this was so good, and I know that we are not going to have time to talk as much as we would like to about Joseph, the judges in between, and David. So I'll try to, maybe I could put my David list, if we don't get to all that, maybe I could put our David list on uh, the blog so that you can find that later. You know, when I was thinking about Joseph, this is how it really helped me, and practical is so good. I am a worrier. I mean, I worry worrier, about things. <laughs> and, you know, as I, was, as I was studying this, I thought, why do I not give it up? and trust that God's got this more often than I do. And as I studied, and you've probably read these statistics, it's like the vast majority of things that we are anxious about or worry about don't ever happen. Right. <laughs> then the next big chunk are things that we can't do anything about when they do happen. So we've got like the, you know, 90% of the things that we worry about are things that either don't happen or we can't control. And really, when you come down to it, 8% of the things that we're anxious about are things about which it does any good to think ahead. So when I think about that 8%, and I think about what God did in the life of Joseph, I think God is more than covering that 8% for us as his children. And so as I think about him, I realize that this is not deism. He's not a God that created the world and then stepped back and is just watching. He is actively involved in our lives, not miraculously today. There are only two events in the life of Joseph where God reached in and did something miraculous. What were those? Do you remember? The dreams. Yeah, the dreams. Mm -hmm. The interpretation of the dreams, both um, the butler and the baker, and then Pharaoh's mm -hmm. dream. Only those two times. But, you know, God did so much through the life of Joseph that was just incredibly um, amazing as he accomplished his will. As he, you know, you have to keep in mind in the life of Joseph that he planned on 400 years in Egypt. And he planned on growing the nation of Israel as they were there for those 400 years. He planned on then delivering them. And he planned on through one of those tribes, the tribe of Judah, bringing about David and eventually bringing about through the lineage of David, the Savior, the Messiah of the world. It was all God's orchestration. And yet so many times I think about Joseph and the other characters around him and how they must have thought, why on earth is this happening to me? This is so hard. And yet it was just all a part of the magnificent, infinite wisdom of God in accomplishing the purpose that he intended all along. Why can't I get that for my life? Why can't I trust 
when things are occurring around me, why can't I trust 1 Peter 5 verses 6 and 1 Peter, is it 5 and 6 or 6 and 7 that I told you? 1 Peter 5 verses 6 and 7. Will you read those for us? Mm -hmm. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Wow, when you think about humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he can exalt you, who is that describing? I mean, that is Joseph. He just humbled himself and was he was not self-promoting. Mm -mm. He just did the will of God. <laughs> And then God exalted him. And God says to us in the Christian age, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. It might not be when I think, but he is going to exalt me one day around his throne, if not before. And then the next verse says, casting all your care upon him because he will do the caring for you. He will do the worrying for me. He will do the anxiety part for me. And although God is, you know, of course he's not anxious because he knows that he's in complete control. But I have somebody who's promised me that all things work together for my good. In Romans 8, 28, all things are going to work together for my good. And so I, I don't need to worry. There's not a need for me to worry. If one thing has come from this study for me personally, that's it. I really am going to work to try to not be anxious about the things of the future. So we are going to, uh, since we spent quite a bit of time on the Dig a Bit little podcast this month, we're going to spend some time tonight talking about the providence in the story of Joseph through certain characters that are involved in that story. Before we do that, Danae, do you mind going through and telling them which passages, you don't have to read them all, okay. but um, any commentary that you want to give would be great. Um, if you want to give us um, the passages that you marked as being escapes in the life of Joseph, and uh, you can tell us anything about those that you want to say. Okay. <laughs> Um, well, I started um, where Reuben heard, he overheard the brothers, and um, he delivers Joseph out of their hands in verses 21 and 22. And then of chapter? Of chapter 37. Okay. And then there's an empty pit, and it's waterless in the wilderness, and they put him in there. Um, and then verse 25, a company of Ishmaelites come along, going to Egypt, and so he escapes again. Um, so he escaped death the first time, and then mm -hmm. he really escaped starvation and death the second time right. because they were leaving him in the pit. Okay. Um, and then um, also um, the fact that they lied, um, his brothers, to Jacob, and he believed the lie. And so because of that... Um, Jacob doesn't come after him, and he probably would have otherwise. I mean, this was his favorite, as we know. And so how was that an escape that he didn't come get it? Seems like if he came to get him, he would have escaped. Well, for God's plan, it right. was escape. Exactly. It <laughs> because was, Joseph needed that time down mm -hmm. in Egypt to accomplish what God sent him there for. Right. Exactly. And then um, while the company of Ishmaelites... They take Joseph into Egypt, 
and then Joseph is sold to Potiphar, and, you know, it is maybe not seen, you know, he's sold again, but it is an escape from the Ishmaelites, and good things do happen to Joseph in Potiphar's house. Um, he rises up, and so that was an escape from that. Good. And then... Um, while Joseph is in Potiphar's house, we know that Potiphar's wife acts ugly. Um, and in verses 12 through 13, Joseph flees from Potiphar's wife. And I thought of that in an escape is that he, he escaped from her. He got up and left um, and escaped from sin in that situation. Um, and then Joseph was put in prison, and that gets him out of Potiphar's house. Um, and that was an escape from being mm -hmm. in that situation. It puts him into a new opportunity. Puts him into a no new opportunity. Um, and then um, there's lots of stuff, a lot of providential stuff that happens there um, in the jail. Um, but then Pharaoh calls for Joseph. And if he hadn't been called out from the prison, which, you know, to be able to interpret the dream, um, he wouldn't have been able to get out of prison. And then in verse 40 of chapter 41, Pharaoh puts Joseph over his household in Egypt, and that's definitely a big escape from where he was. Exactly. Um, and then in verses 47 through 49, the plentiful years Egypt stores up, and that's going to be the escape for the Egyptians. And you're still in 41, though, right? Yes. Okay. Still in 41. That's going to be escape for not only the Egypt, the Egyptians, but everyone else from starvation during the famine. Okay. Very good. Um, and then um, the next escape that I put um, is verse 7 in chapter 45. Um Right there, verses 5 through 9, Joseph reveals how God has worked to save them from the famine. So he's revealing um, to them that. And let's see. I think the last thing that I had there um, in chapter 20, I mean, chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph repeats again about how God used what they did to deliver Jacob's family. Very good. Okay, I wanted to, to just mention that sometimes when I was reading along, I would just find a verse that really spelled out the providence of God. And one of those that I marked was Genesis 46, verses 5 through 7. You want to read those for me? Okay. Genesis 46, verses 5 through 7. That's not really, I don't think that's really what I'm looking for. Let me see what I'm looking I'm looking at um, 5 through 7 of 45. Okay. 45, 5 through 7. Okay. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land and there are... Still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. 
Okay, I just love how he summed it up for them there, and especially that he used the word posterity, or some versions say remnant. God has always had a remnant of people, and God is never going to let that until the trumpet blows. He's never going to let that remnant go away. He's going to preserve that life. And we're going to see David or Abigail talk about that with David when she says, you're in the bundle of life and right. God's going to protect you. So I loved that summation of providence. Now let's, let's think real quickly about just some amazing things that God did through people. And they were not miraculous. Most of them were not miraculous at all. But first of all, I wanted to mention how that Joe Joseph was a providential impetus for Jacob. And I just thought about this and how providential was it that Jacob had this big problem with deceit, first of all, in his life way before Joseph ever came. You know, he, he was a master at deceit. He had deceived his father into giving him the birthright, which was God's plan all along and would have happened even if he hadn't come up with this scheme that he came up with with Rebecca, his mom. But he deceived his father into getting the birthright. And then he's learning some very hard lessons about deceit now that Joseph is growing up he spent his life paying a huge price for the deceit of those brothers. And then I think about favoritism. Do you mm. remember that um, whose favorite was Jacob as he was growing up? His mother's. He was his mother's favorite, mm -hmm. right. And you remember that um, because of that, that, that is how he got into the deceit business, really. His mother loved him so much that she wanted him to have the blessing. And so he... He grew up in that situation, and did he learn anything about how bad that was? No. <laughs> no. So he picks out Joseph and gives him this coat of many colors, and then he pays a huge, all of those years that he was away from Joseph, and, you know, that was a, a bundle of Joseph's life, and he loved him so much, but he thought that he was dead for all of those years as a result of... And, and it can directly be tied to deceit and favoritism. Mm -hmm. And so I think that Joseph was providentially um, teaching Jacob some lessons through the, the things that occurred in his life. And then Jacob providentially, because he did not know, this is providence working through Jacob, because he did not know that Joseph was alive, he did not go. Right. If he had known that Joseph was still alive, he would have been on his trail. He had money. Mm -hmm. he, he could have just bought him back. He also had a pretty good little army with his sons because they had done some damage to Shechem. They, mm -hmm. they could do some damage. So he could have gone by force or by money and retrieved Joseph back. But that wasn't God's plan. And so because he didn't know, he didn't go. And I think about Joseph and how he must have felt as he was traveling away in that caravan with those people who, what do you think he thought about Jacob? He probably thought he's going to come after me. Oh, it'll yeah. be okay. It'll work out. My dad will be here. There's no, I'm, I'm just so glad I didn't die because dad will come and get me. Yeah. I know he'll be here because I'm his favorite. Yeah, he'll be here. And so I know that he thought that. And then what 
choice did he have as time went by? You know, 13 years in um, slavery and then how many ever years in uh, prison and then the, um, or that might have been the total, but then uh, nine years really went by after prison when he was exalted in Egypt. And all those years went by, and he really didn't have a choice but to decide, well, I guess my dad was in on it after all yeah, because he's not coming. And after all, he thought back about how his dad sent him there. And he, I mean, his dad sent him to check on the brothers and to give them stuff. And so then he, as soon as he got there, the brothers... We're going to kill him, but then decided to put him in the pit, and then was he was sold, and his father, who loved him so much, didn't come to get him. So I guess he really must have gotten pretty tired of the brothers fussing about the code and all those things. So, you know, he he had no choice, really, but to think that his daddy was in, was colluding with um, the brothers as they sold him. Now, Reuben. Reuben was the one dissenting voice. What did he say when they said, let's kill him? Um, he said, don't, don't do harm to the boy. Don't do harm to the boy. Let's put him in this, in this pit. So let's just think about that for a minute. What if Reuben had come back a little bit earlier than he did to retrieve Joseph from the pit? Well... He wouldn't have been sold. <laughs> Joseph wouldn't have gone to Egypt. The whole plan wouldn't have worked. So Reuben here is this one dissenting voice. Um, and I have chapter 37, verse 22. Can you read chapter 37, verse 22 for me? Mm -hmm. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So he was the one dissenting voice. Can we today, he was doing the, he was sort of doing the right thing. <laughs> he was trying to spare the life of his brother. Sometimes it takes a person of God dissenting. It takes a person of God saying, I don't care what the crowd says, this is not right. Or, I don't care what the crowd says, this is the right thing to do. Can we sometimes be one dissenting voice? What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. And there are tons of practical situations that you can think of where one dissenting voice makes a difference. And as I studied about that, um, I looked at this conformity experiment that was done. It's called the ASH, A-S-C-H, conformity experiments. And what happened in the 1950s, there was a man named Solomon Ash, and he had a conformity laboratory at Swarthmore College. And what he did was he had groups of eight male college students to participate in these perceptual tasks. And this was really simple. There would be a line on one index card, and then there would be three lines on another index card. And your job was to pick out which line, A, B, or C, on this index card, which one of those is the same length as the, the line that's by itself. And I think you're maybe you're seeing a visual of that. So that was the job. And the thing was, though, that eight of the, seven of the male college students were actors. 
and only one was really being given the test. And the actors were trained in exactly what they should say when they pick the wrong line. Well, now, if you're looking at that picture, you can see that it's not really hard to find out, to, to decide which line is the same length as the one over here on the card by itself. But in those situations where there were seven people who were rationalizing why it's this line and were saying, oh yeah, but you're just looking at it wrong. It's just a perception problem. You're just looking at it wrong. This is it. This is line B when it's really line C, let's say. I think that's the way it is actually on the card you're looking at. But um, in 35% of the people who were given that test went along with the crowd, even though it was obvious and th I believe it was 35% of the people went along with the crowd the majority of the time, and they were tested over and over and over. And there were only 25% of the people who picked the right line every single time. And there was only one, no, there were none, I think, who picked it every single time and there was only one man who did who got 11 out of 12 of them right because it was so tempting when you had these smart people in the room who were choosing the wrong line it was so tempting i heard another um illustration about a class of children and they would send one to the bathroom and you may have heard this but um so they would draw those lines on the board and the child would come back from the bathroom and the children had been coached while that child was gone to raise your hand for the wrong line. You, which one is, which line is the shortest and which one is the longest? And so the child would come back from the bathroom and then all 30 children in the classroom were voting for the, which one, who believes this one is the longest? Well, 30 children raised their hands. And so the little girl that's been to the so bathroom the just looks around and she thinks, oh, and I guess, I guess that's the right one. And she raises her hand. So in all of those studies, what that proves is, is that, and they, they did personality tests after they did this study and determined that the people who always went with the crowd were people who, uh, didn't have very much confidence in themselves or who performed poorly in other kinds of tests as well that, that required self-confidence. But all in all, I, I just said all that, and you can, you know, you can Google this, ASCH conformity experiments. I said that to say that it's really a temptation for us to look around us and think, well, if everybody else thinks that's okay, then that must be what I should choose. And is that right? Yeah. So People do that. But what did Jesus say about the majority? Do you remember he said there's two paths? Um, there's two paths and the gate. one gate is narrow and one gate is wide. Yeah. And only a few will get in. And one path is narrow and one path is wide and the wide path is full of people and so we look back through biblical history and we we can see that we can see that at um noah and the flood we can see that at sodom and gomorrah we can see that here at joseph we, you know we have these brothers who all but reuben are saying let's kill him the majority in moral and ethical situations in our world today is wrong 
And so we as Christians have to be the dissenting voice. I wanted to look at the end of the story in forty in chapter forty-two. Genesis chapter forty-two, we see Reuben again in verse twenty-two. This is um when the brothers are saying, um, you know, Joseph is um here Joseph is accusing them of being spies and he says bring your youngest brother to me and they have a little powwow the brothers have a little secret powwow with each other and say one to another in verse 21 oh dear we're guilty and that's why we're in all this mess that's why we're in trouble here you know we can't bring Benjamin with us and what did Reuben say in verse 22 and Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. So who was listening when he said that? Joseph. And they didn't think he could understand because Joseph had been talking to them in a different language. And so he had been an using interpreter. a translator, right. And so they didn't think Joseph could tell what they were saying, but this was the first time that Joseph knew that Simeon, that Reuben had tried to save him. This is the very first time that he knew that anybody had tried to save him. And and it made Joseph do what? It made him cry. cry. Yeah, in verse 24, he turned around and cried because he finally knew that someone had been the dissenting voice. We don't, we know that Reuben said at least something protective of Joseph at this time. He was trying to at least make a move in a moral and ethical direction here. But was he a great man? No. I can't say he was a great <laughs> no. man. In the end, when um, the father Jacob was passing out the blessings in chapter 49, he said that Reuben defiled my bed. Reuben mm -hmm. defiled his father's bed. So there's sexual sin there in the life of Reuben as well. And then I think about the brothers. You already said this, but let's just say one more time, their lie to Jacob. And can we really call that a lie? They just showed him a coat. Well, I think they said they didn't know. We found this. Do yeah, you? so that was a lie. Yeah. I, I was really being facetious anyway oh. <laughs> of course it was a lie of course it was and um and not only that but they it says they comforted him they i that is just to me the fact that they could all of those years you know joseph was brought up at least once a week during all those <laughs> yeah. years you know what happened to joseph was pretty big and you know they talked about it and every time they had to look at each other and look sad every time and they did that for all of those years and so that lie though was good for one thing that lie gave joseph the time to advance so his father wouldn't come and get him now judah let's look at uh, that chapter that seems like it doesn't fit what chapter was that 38 chapter 38 seems like it doesn't fit here but they have told this lie about joseph and sometimes people go and get into big trouble when they are trying to not think about their guilt. And Judah did that. I mean, he was very guilty in this. And so what did he do in the meantime? Well, he, he was supposed to give his sons to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, um, as was the custom. 
there so that she would have sons. Um, and he did not. And she tricked him. Um, and she tempted him at the gates. And he she went into her. dressed up like a prostitute. And, and he went into her, and she became pregnant right. with twins. And so, mm-hmm. you know, he left her some, um, a staff and a ring that were um, his collateral that he said, you keep these until I can pay you. Mm-hmm. And so she had the evidence against him. She had the goods on him, and she was pregnant with with his twins. And so he did a very bad thing in in the aftermath of the guilt regarding Joseph. Now, how did God use that bad thing to accomplish his purpose? Well, um, one of the twins, Perez, is going to be in the lineage of Jesus. Exactly. Um, So, in this very bad act that Judah did, we find that Tamar's son Perez is in lineage actually of Joseph in the Jewish mm-hmm. li- in the um, lineage of the father of Jesus and so we find in Matthew 1 the mention of both of those in the actual lineage of our Messiah Jesus Christ so in 44 then verses 27 to 29 again we have judah making a really big revelation now you know sometimes i've looked at the speech that judah made at the end of chapter 44 and this is um when judah is really begging joseph to not make benjamin come isn't that what he's doing here Mm-hmm. Um, or he he already has Benjamin there, doesn't right. he? Right, and, and he's found the cup. They found the cup in his saddlebags. Right. So they bring him back. So he's a, he's asking for um, forgiveness here, and you know all of them. It's interesting that Joseph, the cup, of course, was in Joseph and Benjamin's bag, and so they're bringing Benjamin back, and all the brothers are following along <laughs> because they know they can't leave Benjamin right. there, and so Judah. You know, I I call this sort of the violin speech. He just is begging here and saying, but look what we've been through. And he doesn't know that he's talking to the victim of their meanness here. But he's saying, look at all that we've been through. And then in uh, 27 to 29, he makes a big revelation to Joseph. Go ahead and read 27 to 29. Okay. Then... Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Okay, what big important truth did Joseph learn right here? That his father did not know that he was alive that his father never knew that he assumed that he was torn in pieces. I I love that. And it is actually at the end of Judah's speech then, 45 verse 1, Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by. And he said, Cause every man to go out for me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known to his brethren. Here, for the first time, Joseph knows that his daddy would have come to get him 
if he had only known that he was still alive. So that is Judah's part in the plan here. He did something very bad, and then he did something unknowingly here that was really a big relief to Joseph. And then Potiphar. Potiphar was a vehicle to jail Mm -hmm. for Joseph, but he was a lot more. Potiphar is going to be the one who is is going to put an innocent man into prison, and prison is where Joseph's going to show that he can interpret those dreams. But also, don't you think Potiphar's house would have been great leadership training for Joseph? And Joseph's fixing to be second in command in a few years in Egypt. So he gets this leadership training because Potiphar is a captain of Pharaoh's guard. I was reading today the word uh, a sentry or um, I've forgotten what the British word. I was reading uh, Matthew Clark, and so he used the British word, but I can't remember what that word was. But anyway, he was the captain of of the king's guard. And so here this man in this important position who knows Pharaoh, Pharaoh knows him, Mm is putting Joseph second in his house, second to Potiphar himself. And everything that Potiphar has, he's in charge of. So he's training for this position he's going to get later, second to Pharaoh. It looks like that Joseph was incidental to the world. It looked like Joseph was incidental to this important man. But really it was the other way around. The important man was just incidental in God's plan for Joseph's life. In 37 verse 36, go ahead and read that verse. 37 verse 36. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and a captain of the guard. Okay, so that word officer is really the word S-A-R-I-S in the Hebrew, Saris. And it signifies that he was a eunuch. Think that's pretty interesting because um, I, I don't know if that had anything to do with Potiphar's wife's wanting Joseph, the fact that she wasn't going to have children by her husband, but that that word signifies that he was a eunuch, and he was not only a eunuch, but he was a man who one day was going to be under the command of Joseph, his servant. So he goes, he needed a, a houseboy. He goes down to the slave market, buys a slave. And when he buys that slave, he does not know that one day he is going to be under the command of that slave. Very interesting. So, you know, later on when Joseph was second in command in Egypt and he was riding in the second chariot at, as I was reading this and reading the commentaries, it says that Joseph's chariot followed right behind the chariot of the Pharaoh. And they said that the language indicates that. So here he is. You know, think about our presidential caravans. What do they call those anyway? Not caravans, really. Presidential. What do they call that? There's a word. But anyway, so, you know, the car behind the presidents has the guards and everything in it, and Mm -hmm. they're really second. So here he is in this second chariot to Pharaoh. And Potiphar, we we don't know 
but not very much not very many years had really passed since Potiphar not a lifetime of years right. so we can pretty much assume that Potiphar unless he did something horrible was still the captain of the guard I mean he was probably still the captain of the guard when Joseph came in to be his boss and just think about him and the, the guards of Pharaoh and this second chariot coming by and when I think about those presidential I can't believe I can't think of that word all you women know you're telling me I know they're telling me I'm gonna let you t oh, see what they said motorcade you're right thank you Lavinia <laughs> I love you the motorcade so here he is in that second car and think about him looking out the window at Potiphar whose wife accused him and who put him in jail and I mean you know <laughs> That very well could have happened. And so Potiphar, this vehicle to jail, but so much more for Joseph in preparing him for the work God had for him to do. Now Potiphar's wife, she made the horrible accusation. Oh, let's pause for a second and see who see said something. Yes. Um, let's see. We have scroll, scroll, <laughs> scroll. Okay, I saw my daughter's name there. I'm excited <laughs> to hear from her. Have I heard from okay. her in a few days? So um, back at the beginning when you were talking about being anxious, Vicki Yoakum said, consider the sparrow. Exactly, from Matthew 6. Okay. And then she also says, do y'all think Genesis 37, 15 and following is a providential occurrence? Man found Joseph wandering told him to go to Dothan. I can't help but think we are wandering constantly. God provided help to find his brothers. Exactly. Yes. I do think that. And I marked that on my list as one of the providential occurrences. Good, Vicki. And she also says, And providentially he provides people in our path as we wander, as you have shown in the Practically Speaking projects this month. Very good. I hope you're doing those Practically Speaking things. And Hannah asks, um, what was the one word, one more time, that signifies he was a eunuch? Uh, S-A-R-I-S, and that's the word translated in my version, officer. I think it was your version, too. The word mm -hmm. officer, S-A-R-I-S, saris, I guess. And that is uh, a word that signifies eunuch. And Lavinia Jenkins answered her. <laughs> Good. And so did Stephanie uh, Keenan. Kenyon. Okay. Good. Um, and that, and that's and all we have. And then we, we have. had the motorcade comment. Yeah. So you all are being helpful, but come on with your comments. <laughs> We're obviously going to run out of time, but this is just so interesting to me, the way that God worked in the life of Joseph through these people. So Potiphar's wife makes this accusation, and this is the second time that Joseph came out of a coat. So when was the first time? Um, well, that his brothers took his coat off of him. Coat of many colors, that's right, and took it back to Jacob with the blood on it. Mm -hmm. And this time he comes out of his coat in resisting a sexual temptation. May I just say that we, we need to come out of our coats? Whatever it is, <laughs> we need to come out of our coats when we're presented with temptation. And so this is the second time Joseph lost a coat. He had a hard time hanging on to coats, but in the losing of his coats, he always hung on to his integrity. Mm -hmm. So... Imagine, did did Potiphar's wife come to Joseph for food? Maybe. 
yeah, I don't know if she sent a maid or if she went herself, but I'm pretty sure if she was alive, and she probably was, um, she was somehow contemporary with Joseph or she probably wouldn't have been coming on to him. So here she is now hungry. And Joseph is the one who's providing the food for all of Egypt. Did she come to him for food? Probably at least through a servant or through her husband. She probably did. Imagine what she felt like when she knew she was dependent on Joseph. Do you think Joseph could have stood up and said, um, no food for you? Yeah. I think Pharaoh would have been on his side. <laughs> I think yeah. he probably could have gotten the captain of the guard out of a job. But Joseph wasn't that kind of man. Joseph, as far as we know, and I believe we do know, he ministered to many people who had mistreated him. The, the um, butler had mistreated him, and yet now he's dependent on him for food. So um, imagine Potiphar's wife. She was um, a great deceiver, a horrible wife. And, you know, in the intervening years, she was an adulteress. She wanted adultery in a bad kind of way. Do you think Joseph was the only man on the planet that she would have committed that sin with? Probably not. Probably not. So she probably wasn't, you know, if I had to guess, probably what hadn't been faithful to her husband. And she might not have been in the husband's picture by the time Joseph came into power. But I'm pretty sure... This is something that I can say with a fair amount of certainty. I'm pretty sure that Potiphar had his wife's number. What do you think? I think so. I think he had his wife's number. He could have killed Joseph. Right. He did not kill him. Mm -mm. And do you think, this is what I would conjecture, and then I'll move from conjecture, but I would think that when Joseph is in power and Potiphar's the captain of the guard, that he would have had a chance to say, just for the record, I didn't commit adultery with your wife, and I never abused her in any way. And if he did, I'm pretty sure Potiphar would have said, I know that. I've known that all along. Because she was the kind of woman who would have easily betrayed her own sin and deception to her husband. She was very blatant about it. Okay, now from conjecture, we're going to look at the butler. The butler, let's look at both of them first of all. How do we know that Joseph, although he was, you know, he went to jail, and there he is now in charge of the jail. Everywhere he went, he was put in charge. So he's in charge of the jail, and he has to give commands. But how do we know that he was also a man of sincere and interested relationships? Well, he saw their sadness, and he inquired about why they were sad. Yeah, he knew them as people. He wasn't just in charge of robots in the prison. He had a relationship with them because he saw that they were sad. He knew them. He had learned to care about people. He had been sad. He had been very sad, and that was preparation for this moment when he was going to notice the sadness on the part of the butler and the baker and his inquiry into their feelings, into what was making them sad, is going to open up this huge door for him. Should we be making preparations for 
moments of opportunity by, by being interested in the lives of people around us? We've got to. <laughs> yeah, we have to. We are never going to reach souls for heaven until we are involved in the needs of people around us, in their feelings, in what is making them tick and in what's making them sad. We have to get involved in lives around us. And I know that Joseph did that. He wouldn't have noticed that his subjects were sad if he hadn't had a relationship with them. So when you go to the post office, when you go to the grocery store, when you go to school, when you go to work, try to forge relationships that one day will open up spiritual opportunities. Do you have anything to say about that, or does anyone? Um, Nobody said anything just yet. Okay. So then, got out. He was the one who was who was blessed and fortunate and is going to get his job back and not lose his head. But he had this bad propensity to be forgetful when he should have been remembering. But how is that providential? Well, he forgot about Joseph until Pharaoh had his dream and none of the Egyptians could interpret it. And he's like, oh, I remember this guy in prison and he interpreted our dreams. And that's giving two more years, two more needed years um, that he didn't ever tell and then after those two years Joseph was going to get to be his boss again. Do you think he dreaded having Joseph for a boss? I'm thinking probably not. I'm thinking he loved him. I'm thinking he didn't dread that. And then the baker, uh, this is really interesting because there he is in prison, and he's not going to tell his dream until he hears that the butler's dream turned out good. Right. And then he says, oh, wait, I had a dream too. And so he tells Joseph his dream, and his dream is that he's going, the interpretation was that he's going to lose his head. He's going to get, he's going to be beheaded. And so what happens on Pharaoh's birthday is that they have the court. They have the trial. And that, as I'm reading um, commentaries about it, they said that that, that might have been a pretty usual thing. It was a, a birthday was an important day. A birthday of a potentate was very important. And sometimes those days, like President's Day, <laughs> were days when they had a trial. So here is the trial, and maybe it was a trial for lots of people. But the butler is exonerated, and the baker had to go through all of those days between the dream and the trial date, and he already knew how it was going to end. I really feel sorry for the baker. I know he did something to be in jail in the first place, (laughs) but he already knew how it would end. But still, he knew, and Joseph knew, that when it ended the way that he had predicted, and Joseph knew this while in jail, if it turns out the way that I predicted, and he knew it would, that uh, it's going to be proof, further proof of his credibility. And when the butler sees his head coming off, he's going to (laughs) remember to tell Pharaoh. And then we have Pharaoh's part in the providence of God. And here, Joseph, because of Pharaoh's call to him, is down there shaving. And the commentary I read said that he probably was putting on clothes that Pharaoh had sent for him to put on, at least through a servant, because he didn't have probably a change of clothes that was suitable to go before the king. 
So he's shaving, and I can just think about him praying while he was shaving. He's been called before the most powerful man probably in the world at that day. He's in prison, and he is shaving and praying. Verse 40. Let's read verse 40. What chapter are we in? Verse 40 of I should have put down what chapter I'm um, Probably 41. Okay. Read that for us. Um, you shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. So, have you ever had a day, I've had a couple of these days, and not anywhere near this magnitude, but have you ever had a day where something good happened that you just couldn't believe? I've had those days. I had a day like that when... I remember one time when we were really working for a certain ACT score so that, you know, we could get a scholarship, and I just never would have. I was so elated when we got the score we <laughs> needed, and I just thought, this day is the best day ever because it meant, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars to, you know, but I've never had a day like this. Can you imagine Joseph starting that day in prison and ending that day second in command? to King Pharaoh himself. I cannot imagine that, but it was God's providence. And all of this, all of this was putting Joseph in a position of favor so that the Israelites could come down to the land of Goshen. And then we have Asenath. Who was Asenath? Um, that was his wife, right? <laughs> that was his wife that Pharaoh gave him. Mm -hmm. And so providentially, Pharaoh just hands him this source of comfort. And then we have Manasseh. Who is Manasseh? That is Joseph's firstborn son. And there's something really neat that's said about his firstborn son, and that's in chapter 41, verse 51. And what does that one say? Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Okay, so Manasseh is going to be a tribe of Israel, but when he's born, Joseph looked down at that firstborn and said, I don't even have to think about. And this is before all the revelations, of course. This is when he still thinks his daddy didn't love him enough to come get him, and he knows his brothers sold him, and he's been in prison, and he's, he's been through a lot. He's been accused of adultery. And through all of that, now he looks back and says, God made me forget all that when he looked into the, to the face of Manasseh. And then Ephraim was his second son. And about Ephraim in the next verse, he says, God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So in not three comforting characters there, um, Ephraim, by the way, is the uh, tribe through which the great deliverer Joshua came. And then Benjamin. Benjamin was the only innocent brother. And what's one reason he was innocent? Well, he wasn't there. He wasn't. He, was, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't there, and he was just a baby yeah. or a lad at that time. So he wasn't involved in the selling of Joseph or the plan to kill Joseph. But he is the hook of Joseph. Joseph said, well, I had this brother. He knew in his mind that mm -hmm. I had this baby brother, and he's not here. So... Um, McGarvey, in the lesson that we listened to, and you can find uh, J.W. McGarvey's lesson on Joseph, I think, on the Digging Deep site. And I, li I was listening to that lesson, and when he was talking about um, 
about Benjamin and Joseph. He said that Joseph's plan at this time was to get Benjamin to him, to realizing the, the wicked deeds that his brothers had done, that he was going to forever send them away after he got Benjamin to a place of safety away from those brothers. I don't know. What do you think about that? It's possible. Yeah. Um, I think he also mentioned about how, you know, Benjamin didn't have a mother because his mother had already passed away. And so he may have, I mean, he may have thought, hey, they hate me. What are they doing to this poor mm-hmm. young man? Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't yet know all of the details about any umbling that they had gone through. Right. And so maybe he was trying to get rid of them and get Benjamin to him. I know he was trying to get Benjamin mm-hmm. to a place of safety. But the conscience of Reuben, we see in 42, verse 22. Did we already read that? Yeah. I think we did. Mm-hmm. Um, don't sin, he had said, don't sin against the child, and you wouldn't hear, so his blood now is required. And when he said that, it made Joseph cry. In 45, verse 14, this is after Benjamin is, um, is there. This is finally when he... Um, reveals himself to Benjamin and he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept and Benjamin cried also on his neck. So, um, and of course Benjamin is the one who ended up with the cup in his sack and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Now, Simeon. What What is the different thing about Simeon. Do you remember what's different about him from the other brothers? Um, He's the one, remember Joseph kept him for a while. That's right, he kept him. He's the one that Joseph took and kept when they went home the first time. Mm -hmm. And so he had a lot of time to think. Here he is, away from his brothers, away from his father in a different culture where a different language is spoken and he's a prisoner and don't you know that during that time Simeon had to be thinking this is not turning out too good (laughs) this is not really the way that we envisioned it when we got rid of Joseph on that day so long ago he was also used providentially as a connector the brothers needed to come back for food but they also needed to come back because one of them was there. Still there, yeah. And if they brought Benjamin, they would get him back. They would get Simeon back. So he was used as a hook to get them back. Um, was Simeon a good man? No. In chapter forty-nine, again, when Joseph, when Jacob is passing out the blessings, he said that Simeon was angry and violent. And Simeon and Levi are usually paired together as angry and violent. And then we have Judah, and I already talked about Judah, but hypocrisy must, by the end of the violin speech in chapter 44, hypocrisy must have really been eating at Judah. Judah is a murderer, an adulterer, a deceiver, a false and and fake mourner with his father, and still God is using him as the father of the Messiah. I love that because what it means is God can use whatever he wants to use to accomplish his purposes. And then I wanted to talk for just a minute about the steward. Uh, Look in chapter 43. 
I just think that it's almost comical to think about this steward of Joseph in chapter 43. It says, um, and, and this steward didn't really, he was an Egyptian likely, and he didn't really know the purpose for which we, we are being, he was being used, but he just obeyed. Mm -hmm. Every time Joseph asked him to do something, and it didn't even make sense. Right. So how does that apply to us? Um, well, sometimes we don't understand our, you know, why we need to do something, but we do need to be obedient. And I guess you, as a parent to your kids, sometimes you're, they want to know why, and you're like, you have to learn to obey. And sometimes there's not enough maturity to explain the why, right. even if you wanted to. So you just say, because I'm the parent, and, and there's nothing wrong with saying that sometimes. And so here we have this steward who just knew what his job was, and he never said to Joseph, why am I doing this, even though it must have seemed very, some of the things must have, must have seemed very ridiculous to him. Now, I'm not sure that the, it was all the same steward, but it says Joseph steward, and so I'm pretty sure, does your version use steward, or does it use some other word? Um, like in 43, 23, and 44, 1, does it say, what does it say? Or like, uh, let's see, 21. He commended the steward, yeah, yeah of his house. Steward. So he's called a, a steward, and, and so he asked him to do some things. The first thing he asked him to do in verse 43, chapter 43, verse 23, he put the money back in their sacks. Now, that must have seemed pretty funny to <laughs> the steward. <laughs> What's special about these people? You know, why are you putting, why are we putting the money? There's not many merchants who sell you something and then put the money back in. Right. And so then in 44, verse 1, he filled their sacks with food as much as they could carry and they and he put every man's money back in the in the mouth of the sack and then in 44 verses 4 to 6 joseph said go get them and say why have you rewarded evil for good i, I can just see him saying okay let me write this down <laughs> i'm gonna say this and why am i gonna say this he never said why but he just did it he said i want you to go and quote me and then in 44, verse 12, it says, He searched and began at the oldest and left at the youngest. He, he also put the cup in the sacks. Mm -hmm. The steward put the cup in the sacks. Then he chased after him, quoted his master, and then he goes looking through all their sacks. He knew where it was. Right. <laughs> he knew which sack it was in. But he was doing exactly as he had been told to do. And he didn't even know that he was part of any plan of God that was a master scheme toward toward Goshen, toward the tribe of Judah, toward the Redeemer. He didn't know any of that, but he just did what he was told and was a part of that big plan, a pretty significant part, really. So can God be using us and us not know? Definitely. And when we obey, we get the benefits of... You know, Joseph showed favor to the steward. You know he did because he was faithful steward. He obeyed. And I love how that God expects obedience, and he can use our obedience in ways that we can never dream right. in fulfilling his plan. So all these people were doing the planned, 
precise will of God as we read in Genesis 46, verses 3 and 4. So if you'll read Genesis 46, verses 3 and 4. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. Okay. So now are we 46? Yeah, go ahead and read 4 2. 4 2. Okay. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Okay, so this is um, Jacob. Yeah, and this is this is God telling him exactly what the plan had been all along. And, and really, if you look at um, the middle of chapter 48... Um, if you look at um, at the blessings that um, Jacob gave to all of the children, um, 48 and 49, all of these, I have 18 of 49, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Um, it, it, even as he blesses them, Jacob points out the providence of God. All these people were doing the planned and precise will of God, whether they were obeying or whether they were, were rebelling. God right. was still going to use them. And then I wanted to just mention, we're almost done. I can't believe it. We're still in Joseph. <laughs> but the amazing socialism of chapter 47 verses 15 to 27 did egypt have a socialistic society under joseph yeah they did didn't they it was it was really um everybody working as hard as they could to put riches into the coffers of the king under joseph that's what happened the people brought all their money during the lean years, you know, there were seven good years. Mm -hmm. And during those good years, he took up their food, a fifth of their food, not a tenth, as you would think, but a fifth of their food. And then he saved all that up from those uh, years of plenty. And then he made them come and buy it back until they were out of money. Mm -hmm. And then what did he do? He made them sell their livestock. Okay, next it was their cattle. So you bring us cows, and, and you can eat. So they had to give up all of their cattle, and then all of their land. Land. Yeah, all their land they had to give up. So then he said, okay, I've got all the land now, so I'm going to give you some seed and let you plant the seed on the land that's now mine that used to be yours. And then when you grow the crops, you can bring me a fifth of the food again. So these people were eating, and we don't see any sign of any insurrection, but they were all of this wealth was going into the coffers of Pharaoh. And... So there's going to be some generations that pass by until, of course, there arises a new pharaoh that doesn't know Joseph. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be a wealthy land. All of those years, it's going to be a land of plenty, largely because of what Joseph did right. in putting all of this money, all this land, all this cattle, all the assets went to pharaoh. And so then... 
what happened? Tell me about what happened when the plagues happened, the death of the firstborn happened, and the Israelites finally left Egypt. What happened? The Egyptians give all of it <laughs> to the Israelites as they leave. Yeah, the Israelites ask for the for the jewels. They mm -hmm. ask for the gold. And it says that they didn't even have to fight for it, that they willingly gave them wealth. And I don't know if it's, you know, every bit of it, but they but Israel left with a large um booty there, just a large plunder mm -hmm. taken from Egypt. So, and we we read about that in Exodus 11 verse 2, if you ladies want to mark it down, Exodus 11 verse 2, uh, 2 and 3. Go ahead and read Exodus 11 verses 2 and 3. Speak now in the hearing of the people, and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Okay, and go ahead and read 12, 35, and 36. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver and gold, and of gold and clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Did you just hear that? They granted them everything they requested. So whatever they asked for, they gave them. And then also, let's look at Psalm 105. Psalm 105, verse 37. And this is, of course, a review of what happened there. But Psalm 105, verse 37. He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribes. Okay, so that's right after verse 36 says, He smote also the firstborn in their lands. So this is after the tenth plague, he brought them forth with silver and gold. So Joseph here is setting the stage by getting the money, the cattle, the land, and then the food again from the Egyptians for this great plundering that they're going to do. And then what one specific thing do we know of in the book of Exodus that the children of Israel did with at least a good portion of that plunder? They turned it into a golden calf. Yeah, they threw those earrings in the fire and built a golden calf. I just want to say that there's something we can learn from that. I mean, here God displayed his amazing providence for the nation of Israel to move them at the end of Joseph's life down into the land of Goshen after he has protected and exalted Joseph to a position second only to Pharaoh, to a position where he could save Israel from starvation during that famine. He has promoted him to a position where he could bring those Bedouin people, those shepherd people into the land where they could 
become wealthy shepherds and could grow into a nation of, you know, some people estimate, well, the, the it's a big variety of what people estimate, but we hear the word million after the estimate of how big the nation grew while they were in Goshen. And so here we have all of that that God had done through these characters that we talked about tonight, many of whom did not even suspect they were being used in God's plan. They knew this history. They could look back on this. And it wasn't any time before, I mean, it was before they got the Ten Commandments. It was while Moses was up there getting the Ten Commandments to start. Really, it was still in the very foundational part of the nation of Israel. Before they really got started, they've given the credit for coming out of Egypt to something that they built with the plunder. It's hard to believe. It is. It's really hard to swallow that. But so our response has to be complete, utter trust and obedience. I want to just challenge everybody who's listening as you study Joseph to just make a resolve. That doesn't have to be what makes sense to you. It doesn't have to be what you think will turn out best in your family as you're making decisions, what you're going to do is get in the Word and say, how does it apply? How does it apply to this decision that I'm making? And then I'm going to do what God asked me to do, no matter how hard. Just this week, I've been talking with someone who's gotten herself into a, a horribly painful situation in her life where she's thinking she's going to have to live the rest of her life alone and I I have a hard time having words for that but what we have to decide is that God knows not only does he know what we're going through but he's involved in what we're going through not miraculously he only touched Joseph's life miraculously twice it's not miraculous, but he can work through the events that encircle our lives to ultimately exalt us. And for people who are hurting because of sin or because of circumstances around them, just remember that you know Joseph, it was a long time before he ever knew that his daddy loved him. He lived his life thinking his daddy didn't love him. He lived his life knowing that his brothers had betrayed him. But still, he humbled himself under the will of God all throughout life. And in the end, he was exalted. His exaltation was in the land of Egypt. Ours will be in another promised land. Ours will be in heaven, even if we don't experience the exaltation of trusting in God in this life. And we will in some regards. We will. But I, I just hope that you'll take from Joseph and from all of these characters that surrounded him. This is a, a pretty complex story. It really is. When you think about all of these people who played a part in the providence of God. But how many people, how many people are involved in the events that are happening in my life? A lot. Yeah. A lot of people. And though providence is, is very hard to pinpoint, 
in the present. Boy, I can really look back over my life and know that there were some decisions that, that we made because we knew that that was what God wanted us to do, and they were hard, and it seemed like maybe at the time it deprived us of something, not anything uh, where I've suffered persecution, but I've, I've, I've not. Um, sometimes I've made decisions, and you have too, that maybe weren't financially lucrative. But, they, but you thought they would bring your family closer to God. Mm -hmm. And when we make those kinds of decisions, we remember Joseph, and we know that if we humble ourselves under his mighty hand, that he will exalt us. And though the people around us might think it might mean it for bad, God's going to take care of the people who are putting their trust in him. Do we have comments? We do. Um, let's see. Where we left off. She's scrolling. Okay. You're you're all commenting. <laughs> um, Genevieve Orman, and I believe this comment was from earlier um, when you were talking about um, looking around for good opportunities. She referenced Galatians six ten. I think that's uh, to him that knows to do good and does it not. Is that the one? To him it is Sam. Tell us, Genevieve. Are we quoting right? I'll look for it while you're okay. reading. Okay. And then from Holly Clem, um, he must have been confused but remained obedient. How often do we follow a calling out of our comfort because we are feeling God's leading, but we do it out but we do it out of obedience. This is um and she's she's referring to God's leading through his word and um and you're right, that steward, he must have been scratching his head going, <laughs> I'm putting their money back in their sacks. Okay. Now I'm putting this silver cup in this sack. Now he wants me to look for that silver <laughs> cup when I know it's right there. You know, he just must have been really confused, but he wanted to do God's will. And Galatians 6.10 does say, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially those who are the household of faith. Um, and then, let's see... Wanda Russell commented in chapter 47, and then um, I think her and Tammy Bear were having a, a little discussion. Little discussion there. <laughs> That's good. Um, and then Genevieve uh, mentions again, the Lord has given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, just as he did for Joseph. Blessings. Um, and Barbara Harris says like the song that says trust and obey and right now that's elijah's favorite song he goes oh, around singing oh, that's, that so good. that's so good um and wanda russell asked please pray for my daughter and future husband as they wed this saturday oh well that's a good prayer request so we'll we will remember that as we close now just as we close i want to just really quickly i'm going to save david I'm going to save him for a dig a bit, and I'll try to get that dig a bit out this weekend or this week before the 1st of February or around the 1st of February. And I will give you my verses and the ones that I put asterisks beside. If you, I'll mention a couple of things. If you look in 25, uh, I guess we're in 1 Samuel now, 25 verses 28 and 29 is a great definition by Abigail of Providence. Abigail's understanding of providence is there. Um, 
I also wanted to mention, you know, um, Joseph lost his coat twice. Saul's skirt, believe it or not, <laughs> was torn twice. And so as you're looking at, at Saul, see if you can see two different times where his skirt was torn. Do you remember them? One. Well, the one is where he's in the cave and David comes up and cuts it. Okay. The other one, it says he tore his skirt when, I think it was when Samuel came to him and told him that the kingdom was going to be taken away. And he was, oh, he tears, when he went and got the... He, he tears Samuel's. Doesn't Saul tear, tell, tear Samuel's because Samuel's leaving... Is that the truth? Okay, I, I, think, I took I think that so. to mean. All right, let's find. You, you can find that out. <laughs> whose skirt was torn? And I think that would be about chapter fifteen-ish or sixteen, okay. right through yeah. there. So, um, whose skirt was torn? There were two skirts torn in this account, and I just thought that was interesting. <laughs> so, find that, and then um, we're just going to quickly mention um, in Judges four and five. You know, Jael put the nail through the head of Sisera, and how do we know that God was in charge of that? Um, in verse 20, they fought from the heavens, the stars from their courses fought against Sisera. Um, verse 4, Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom. And verse 2, praise you the Lord for the avenging of Israel. So in that song, we find ample evidence that God was doing that. And he did it. You know, it's funny that in the story, he doesn't even tell why the people ran away. But in 521, he says the river Kishon swept them away. So God made a flood that day that took care of that. All right, and then Abimelech is in Judges 9. We had a big um, discussion. We don't have time for it right now about whether or not he was a judge. I'm coming up with that he probably wasn't really a judge, at least appointed by God. He usurped the position of leader yeah. or judge. So um, that he was usurping maybe the judgeship from his father, which and I can't tell that he really did God's will any of his life. No. So um, how do we know that God is the one who um, stepped in to punish him? Um, verse 56, thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech. And then also in verse 23 and 24, God sent the spirit of ill will um, on the men of Shechem and um, so that they fought against him, and that the crime done to the 70 sons of Jerubbabel might be settled and their blood be laid on Abimelech. Okay, very good. And then, finally, we have uh, the civil war between Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. And you know this is the one where every tribe got male, and it was a piece of this Levite concubine that was cut up, and it was a horribly violent time in the... Um, in the annals of the tribe of Benjamin, Judges 19 to 21 is what that should read. And the war was begun because of the abuse of Levite's concubine. That's in chapter 20, verses, uh, I guess, verse 13, or is that 1 to 3? I can't tell what I wrote there. Anyway, it's in chapter 20, and we know yeah, I think there. 20, 13. Uh, okay, 13. I got that down. But the children um, of Benjamin will not hearken to the voice. Deliver us the men. Okay, so uh, the concubine then, beginning in verse 13. Um, let's see. Beginning in verse 13, I guess, of chapter 20. Is that what we're saying? That um, 
the war was begun because of the abuse of the Levite's concubine. And that mm-hmm. is in verse 13. And then, uh, how do we know that God was directing that war? Um, in chapter 20, verse 18, the, um, the Lord said, Judah first, um, when mm-hmm. they ask about going out to fight. Um, also, let's see, verse 23... Wrote that down. Then the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until the evening and asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I draw near for the battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against him. So God was telling them what to do every step of the Mm -hmm. way, and he was in charge of the outcome, and we know that from verse 28 of that same chapter and Mm -hmm. verse 35 of that same chapter. And um, we didn't talk about this last night in our study, but how do we know God made that breach? in um, Israel that God intended for that division to happen. Did you get a verse for that? Um, I did not. I got 21.15. Okay. Um, It says, The people repented them for Benjamin because that the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. So God intended for that breach to occur. The last verse of the book of Judges says, what does that, the very last verse of the book of Judges say? There was no king. king in those days. That in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Yeah, who was still on the throne though? God, Jehovah God, was still mm-hmm. on the throne. And that verse is also found in chapter seventeen, verse, verse six. six. Part of that verse is found in eighteen one and nineteen one. Mm-hmm. But the whole verse is found in seventeen six. And who are we thankful for in the New Testament? Who was of the tribe of Benjamin? Paul. Paul. If they hadn't found those wives for the Benjamites that we read about in the last couple of chapters of Judges, then that tribe would have expired and we wouldn't have had a Paul the Benjamite in the New Testament who wrote over a third of our New Testament. All right, so watch, listen for the dig a bit, and I will list the verses that I got for David. Um, and the providential occurrences that led him to the throne. Oh, my, I wish we had time to talk about this. We needed three hours tonight, but we don't have them. Do we have other comments? Um, yes, let's see. Um, this, I think this is in reference to our comment about the coat, um, 1 Samuel fifteen twenty seven. The skirt. That was the skirt from Maria Cowden, and Tammy Bear um, repeats that, and then Maria Cowden um, put after Samuel told Saul that he had rejected God's word, he turned away from Saul, and Saul grabbed his mantle and tore his skirt. Okay, Thank I you, thought ladies. Saul was sad, and you know how people tore their clothes and went mm-hmm. in sackcloth and ashes, and it says they rent their clothes. I thought Saul tore his own skirt. Well, but maybe not. We might have to. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. I, I, to I don't know. I was says. thinking that we he can, pulled on it, but I. That we can, can probably wrong. find the original language and, and know about that. So you, yeah. you can set us straight on that. So many people have set me straight on so many <laughs> I things be wrong lately because I called Abimelech a judge. And, you know, just um, I, I, I probably am wrong about that. But oh. you'll help us because you are always good at studying and digging and helping us. And we're so very, very thankful for you all. I hope you'll join us on the 27th. Are there more comments? There's a couple more okay. comments that came in. It says, "Is this is Stephanie Kenyon. She says, isn't it also interesting that both Joseph and David were sent by their fathers to check on their brothers? Yes, that Which is. led to the events where they served God in great ways. Um, 
Let's see. So take care of your siblings. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hannah says that, wow, Steph, cool observation. And Maria Cowden says no. She says no. I think she's responding to our our comments. Maria, why to be negative? (laughs) So she's saying about the coat. Or the skirt. Uh, one of us is she's one of us is wrong, and it's probably me. Is it oh, me? Maria? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We need to figure this out. Look it up. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna close with prayer. And you know, isn't it great that no matter how long we dig and how much we try, there's still more. There's still more that we don't know, <laughs> and it's always that is a blessing. And I, I'm going to be at home more this month I hope and so I'm going to try not to have to have a cram week like I had to have this time and next month on the 27th let's close with a prayer father we are so very thankful for the accounts that we have of Joseph and David especially tonight we are thankful father for the fingerprints your fingerprints that we see all over and it's not just your fingerprints it's the muscle in the great arm of the lord who is turning events to your glory and we are so very thankful that we can observe that in the past tense but help us even though we can't always recognize it today help us father to know that it is occurring and that that's what your word is for is for us to examine and just obey and then to know that you will make all of the events that encircle our lives the tentacles that reach into our worlds father you will make them work together for good to in the end exalt us father we glorify you for this promise we want to glorify you in every aspect in every detail of our lives and bless us father especially with our families that we will be able to influence to mold to help our children and our grandchildren and our husbands to one day be united forever around your throne father we are so thankful for that great and eternal exaltation that you've promised us it's in the name of jesus who made that possible that we pray amen if you find yourself in huntsville alabama we'd love for you to worship with us at west huntsville church of christ at providence 1519 old monrovia road northwest Sunday morning worship begins at 9 a.m. followed by Bible classes for all ages. We meet again at 5 p.m. for evening worship and at 7 on Wednesday night. This is a Digging Deep in God's Word production, a Bible study for women. For more information, visit thecolleyhouse.org.